0: Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers. Thank you all for rating it five stars, leaving comments, and sharing the episodes with your friends. On today's episode, we have Steph Moralia, or Stefan Moralia. Uh, He's Italian, but he lives in Australia. He's an author who's written the book, Redesign Your Mind, Tools and Inspiration for Positive Mental Health. And this book is amazing. I love it. We go into the top cognitive distortions that people who are thinking about ending their life have. And we talk about the antidotes to those cognitive distortions. And then we go into ways that you can redesign your relationship. For those of you who are stuck at home uh, during the quarantine and uh, the the conversations and the dialogue are, are stilted or you're not getting along and he has some basic, tools, a click through that you can go through to have better conversations with the person you're with. We even talk about nutrition and diet. And then uh, he has some other questions that you can click through to help manage your emotions and thrive. Uh, Now, with that said, the first 10 minutes of this episode, I want to apologize. The sound on his end Is going to be a little uh, distorted, speaking of cognitive distortions, because there's a fan playing in the background. And then we get that cut off, and then after the 10 minutes, uh, we have uh, greatly improved sound quality. So hang in there for the first 10 minutes. There's some really great information in there, and then then it it smooths out. So thank you for tuning in. Once again, if you want one-on-one counseling, go to thrivewithleo.com. And we can help you find hope if you feel hopelessness, and feel less of a burden if you feel like a burden. We can we can alleviate that stress. Go to ThriveWithLeo.com. dot com. And with that said, let's get into the episode. What's up, Steph?
1: Hey, Leo. How you going?
0: Uh, is that is that are you you're Australian or New Zealand? What is that? <laughs> what is the accent?
1: I'm Australian, but. Uh... I'm from Adelaide, which often people think our accent is a bit weird. <laughs> it, it doesn't sound Australian.
0: <laughs> uh, now, so is adelaide like the like the streets of Australia, like is that what they're saying? like you sound do you sound more proper or you sound more street <laughs> for an Australian?
1: Well, it's more proper because Adelaide was settled by uh, I think oh, I a bit of history here settled by people that chose to come to Australia. So it was a lot of rich people migrating from England, whereas the rest of Australia was all convicts, you know, 150 years ago.
0: Wow, <laughs> I had no idea. I thought all of Australia were convicts. Yeah. Now I find out. I mean, yeah.
1: There's parts of it that um, aren't really... Yeah, I mean, we've still, we would have had convicts here too, but now it's mainly settled. And I think Adelaide is one of the, is the name of the Queen at the time or something like that. So we're a little bit more um, slow here and a little bit less progressive because of all of that history, I believe. So um, yeah, we're not as, I guess, modern as um, Sydney and Melbourne. And that's why they kind of joke about Adelaide being a bit slow and behind the times.
0: And a little history lesson, you know, Australia is on my list of, uh, content. I mean, it's on every list of continents, but I, my goal is to hit all seven continents and I have Australia and Antarctica left. So now I want to go visit Adelaide because that's one of the places that I don't hear people talk much about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's an awesome city. Um, and that's, that's right. When you're a traveler, you want to see the places that not everyone sees. And um, I mean, from a flight perspective, it's only a, a one hour flight from Melbourne or Sydney. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool.
0: <laughs> well, Steph, I'm, I'm excited to have you on a podcast today because you have written this incredible book called Redesign Your Mind. Tools and Inspiration for Positive Mental Health, which is to help people around the world uh, with their depression and anxiety. Can can you give us a little bit of, of a backstory as, uh, as to what led you to writing this book?
1: Yeah, sure. So when I was in my 20s, um, I experienced a lot of anxiety and eventually led to depression as well. And I found that reading books really helped me on my journey and a lot of, there's a lot of good books out there, books with good tools. And then there's books with good stories. And I found there wasn't really something that combined the two and said, Hey, I'm just a normal guy. And these are the challenges I had. And I've tried a lot of tools and a lot of different methods here's the ones that worked for me, and here's some extra ones that I developed, and um, yeah, just really tying that in as a general, as a young person, not some psychologist writing a book that says, oh, this is what I've seen in my patients over the years, it's, hey, this is a real story that someone can relate to, and share those um, bumpy times, and um, I've heard that, you know, it's very raw. My book, especially at the start, so yeah, it just gets people um, understanding that they're not alone and that they're not broken, and um, something I can really relate to.
0: Uh, yeah. So, what is that story? What happened? Um, you know, it's easy to say, well, what happened in your twenties because that's when you know the anxiety and depression hit. But I'm going to assume that there were things that probably happened in your childhood and teenage years that then manifested itself uh, or peaked in your 20s. Can you take us on that journey?
1: Yeah, sure. So everyone's story is different. And that's one thing I definitely want to point out. And I um, listened to your podcast with Mary and um, she obviously had some pretty harsh things happen to her and um, often that leads to those emotions. Um, In my case, um, and this is something that can make you feel guilty as well, there wasn't really anything that went wrong. And as you know, and you're probably thinking, wow, there's so much to talk about now, um, that's one of the hardest times to deal with anxiety and then depression, because you don't know what's wrong. And you think, um, I'm broken, uh, maybe I'm, I'm never going to be happy again. And for me, um, once I did uncover those reasons, and this is another reason for writing my book, because some people don't understand what's wrong and they don't have the tools or mechanisms to work through and journal and write to figure out what's wrong. For me, it stemmed probably when I was young, I probably was a a bit of an overachiever and things were really easy and I had a lot of friends and I did really well in school and I had a great family. And as I got older, um, a lot of pressure started to build to continue to outperform like that. And I really wanted to be the best and make the most money and be the most successful And have this timeline where I was married and had kids by a certain age and um, had a Ferrari by 30. And funny thing is, I'm 31 now and I have none of those things, but (laughs) um, I'm happier than ever. And um, that's one of the things that really led to it. And it realized, or I realized myself, that a lot of my goals were bullshit goals that society and um, even family sometimes as well can put on you as being something important. And ultimately, one of the things I talk about in the book is the only thing that really matters, I guess now with everything going on with coronavirus, your health is important too, um, but just to be happy. And I failed to realize that I had so much going right in my life and all I focused on was what I didn't have. And whenever I achieved a goal, I just thought, oh, wow, I need to get to the next goal. And um, I'll wrap this up quickly now so we can keep talking. But um, I did experience some challenges in my 20s and kind of got lost a bit. Um, You know, I was doing really well in my, my job and making a lot of money in finance And I said, this has no meaning. Like, I'm making more money. I'm 23 and I'm making so much money, um, but I don't feel fulfilled. And I need to go off and start my own business because having my business will give me fulfillment, I thought. And ultimately, that led to more challenges. And then I even lost the financial impact um, because, you know, starting a new business takes years to start making a lot of money, let alone how much I was making before. And that's where that anxiety and fear of failure really started to take over.
0: Fear of failure is, is a uh, quick question, is a window open?
1: Uh, sorry, a window open? Yeah,
0: do you have a window? I'm, I'm getting like a background noise. I'm not sure. It sounds like there's traffic or a windows open or like a breeze or something.
1: No, it could be my fan. I'll try and,
0: oh, does that sound better?
1: That's <laughs> like not, oh not my fan, god fan on my computer. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> does that sound better now? That, that, that is there? a thousand percent better. That is okay. a thousand percent okay. better. All right. But we'll, all right, we'll, we'll keep all that in. And then I'll just, uh, I'll make <laughs> a note at the pre, I was like, you know, I was like, I see he has headphones in. At I, I don't see any wind blowing from the curtains. I'm like trying to pick up all these cues uh, from the video. Um <laughs> So, you know, interesting that you say you talk about like finances and fulfillment because so many people who struggle financially do think that once they make so much money that they're going to be happy or once they get to a certain place, they'll be happy. And And guest after guest has talked about how that just isn't the case, whether you're making a couple hundred thousand or a few million uh, finances uh, aren't the source of happiness. Now, lack of finances could be the source of distress and and uh, and uh, uh, you know uh, uh, unha- unhappiness, but uh, yeah. it's definitely not the source of uh, not the sole source of, of happiness. But it is good to have your needs met. Definitely. Uh, yeah,
1: and just touching on that, um, it's it's proven in there's a lot of studies that. If you make around $90,000 per person, which I understand that's hard to to make in, in um, a lot of places as well, but $90,000 is like the peak of um, happiness. And once you go over that amount, there's no – the incremental increase in dollars – doesn't increase your happiness by the same amount so you're getting this diminishing return so that's why um, for me it really made sense that you know trying to make more than that I thought it would bring more happiness but it didn't and to tie that in with just um, I guess a relatable story think of all the rich and famous people out there Um, rich people don't drive around with a big smile on their face like they're They're the happiest people around. Um, In Australia, um, our richest man is um, James Packer. And you may know him because he was dating Mariah Carey for a while. And um, he was engaged to her, I think. Don't quote me on that. But um, he went through depression and, um, yeah, it was all through the papers and everything that he was depressed. And here's a guy that's Australia's richest man with um mariah carey on his arm and really struggling and that's why i feel a lot of anxiety and depression comes from this pressure that you should be okay that you've got a lot of good things going in your life and you you feel guilty that you should not be feeling you know a little depressed for for no reason um and that's where Money kind of is that illusion that we feel um, guilty when we've got heaps of it, but we're not feeling happy.
0: Absolutely. And and so let's get into the book, because like you said there, you, you read so many books and, and, and stories that they were either great stories, but without the tools or books with great tools without the stories and you combine the two what were uh, you know run us through some of the tools that that you use to combat your depression and uh, anxiety
1: yeah cool so I've got a checklist at the end of the book that talks about all the things you can do and you can tick them off and you can tick them off again and again obviously uh, but one of the the main things for me I guess was just knowing the cognitive distortions in your mind. So you may may have read this in another book or online. Basically, a cognitive distortion is something in your thinking that is broken. And, um, for example, um, you might have a cognitive distortion saying, um, what if? And a what if cognitive distortion is um Let's just say I just got in a new relationship and you say, oh, what if it doesn't work out? What if she breaks my heart? What if I'm wasting my time? What if I realize that I'm not into her anymore? All of these negative thoughts lead to the negative emotions. So first of all, and and the book goes through about 20 of these different distortions you may have. And first of all, knowing them. And second of all, journaling and rewriting those thoughts is a massive part of um, getting through these challenges. And for me, when I was at my darkest stage and I really went hard at this, I was doing it for around half an hour in the morning and half an hour at night, just rewriting thoughts that were negative and coming in and rationalizing them. We never um, try and push them out or block them or get frustrated that they're coming in. You just get the negative thought, you acknowledge it, and then you rewrite it with something that's more rational as well. And eventually, your mind will start to um, create those new pathways, and it might actually automatically come in rewritten. So that's one of the major tools um, that I like.
0: Yeah. Cognitive distortions are so huge Uh, there. And, you know, on the flip side, there are advantages to cognitive distortions uh, like catastrophizing, you know, thinking about worst case scenario. Um, For me, I find it to be calming. um, But but then to like to because what it allows me to do is to assess the worst case scenario and then figure out uh, what about that is manageable and then what is unmanageable. So there are ways to use your cognitive distortion to your advantage versus uh, just trying to eliminate it, right? Like like even the what if, like where people are like, well, what if it doesn't work out? Well, as you start to play that out, you'll realize it does reduce your anxiety, it does reduce your depression, because what really is the a, a source of a lot of uh, anxiety and depression is not knowing. So like when you take the time to journal and write it out to, to its fullest of, well, what if it, it doesn't work out? What if we do break up? What if yeah, I do, then, then you start to actually think and then in that thinking, you actually start planning and in that planning, you reduce your, your anxiety is is, is that kind of what you uh, are alluding to also in your book?
1: Yeah, I think um, you've obviously got a, a lot better handle on this than um, people that might be at their darkest days. Um, and you're right. It is a way to kind of plan and um, remove that uncertainty. Um, but as you know, when you're in your darkest phases, the same thought keeps coming back. So it's about really challenging that thought and um, writing the the rational responses as well. But, yeah, I think that, you know, like you said about um, planning for the catastrophe, um, that to me isn't really catastrophizing. I can't say it very well. I can type it well. But because you're planning, you're being rational and saying, all right, if the worst case happens – this is what I'm thinking I can do, or this is what will happen, and it's okay, I'm going to get through it. But sometimes you're not in that state, you're just getting the negative, and um, you're replaying the negative thought. So that kind of ties in perfectly with what you said, for someone that's in the challenging space of their life, writing it out will help remove that uncertainty. And for me, I think it's really a uh, a foundation of, of the book and what got me through it. And then there was a lot of tools that I developed myself to kind of complement that foundation tool as well.
0: Yeah. You know, a lot of uh, work is, you know, specifically, be, you know, cause this is a suicide uh, prevention podcast where we look at the cognitive distortions of people who have attempted suicide or completed um, the, the ones that jump out the most are the all or nothing thinking, the overgeneralization, jumping to conclusions, emotional reasoning, magnification and minimizing and discounting the positive. And mm. and so one of the, the big ones, you know, we talked about this in a previous episode about on uh, the myth, myth, myths. I can't say that word <laughs> of suicide. Um, where we talked about hopelessness. And hopelessness is not that things won't get better uh, or it's not that things will get worse. It's the belief that things won't get better. So that cognitive distortion is that uh, whatever's happening now, whatever we're experiencing now, is a fixed state and nothing changes and we don't change and we can't evolve and we can't get better. And that's a huge cognitive distortion. Um, Can you... Can you talk, to speak to that?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess um, something I talk about in the book as well, um, my uncle, so my mum's brother, um, took his own life when I was probably 15 or 16. And, you know, we've all heard stories of people um, that you would never have thought would do something like that. I mean, he was the most... Happiest easy going guy didn't care about um, material wealth or anything like that. He had so many friends, all he cared about was playing sport with his mates and um, his family you know, his daughter and, and his wife. And um, all of a sudden, one day, he just you know, really, really hit a dark spot and um, ended up taking his own life. And I definitely, looking back now, obviously I haven't spoken to him um, since then, so I can't speak on his behalf, but I can speculate what I thought. And I do think it was that loss of hope that um, he felt he would not go back to his old self. And um, like you said, um, that hopelessness is something that really can um, push people over the the edge and i guess i talk about my thoughts around suicide when i was at my darkest stage and i guess to relate it to me as well you know i had really not too much wrong in my life yet here i was depressed as ever um and really struggling and i think touch wood hopefully if this ever happens again but the the thing that got me through at the time Um, was that I just wanted to feel happy again. And I had that feeling that if I just have one more day of happiness, and I call it being on Paradise Beach in my book, um, and that's something we can aspire to get back to, um, you know, it was all worth it. And I understand that people that do attempt or, um, you know, have, have gone that far, Often it's it's not having hope, and for me, you really got to find something to have hope for. And for me, it was just one day of, of happiness, sitting on a beach um, with the sun uh, out and and hanging with friends. And and I, I got that when I um, went to Europe a year later. I sat on a beach and I thought, wow, like I'm here. Um, and and we can talk more about that later. But for me, that that was something. You've really got to find some meaning, hope, and also gratitude. And, and tying that back to me before, I didn't have gratitude. All I was was um, achievement. Okay, let's move on to the next one. I wasn't grateful for my family or my friends or my achievements. All I was about was, yeah, this is, this is expected, you know. I'm, I'm smart. I should be kicking goals. And, um, I didn't really appreciate or, um, show gratitude for, for how good things really were. And I think if you're in one of those dark spots, if you can find anything to be grateful for, and, and for me, one thing I was saying was, um, okay, I was grateful for my family, but I was really grateful for my dad and having someone there that, um, really was was strong and, um, you know, really helped me through it. And that was something that was enough to get me through it. So, you know, I understand some people might not have family or, um, you know, things like that. But if you can find a reason um, to show gratitude and a reason to look forward, I think it will go a long way to to getting you up and moving um, in the right direction?
0: Absolutely. Uh, so much of the research shows that showing gratitude does want to, a few things. One, it keeps you focused on today and the present moment, you know, to really yep. think about how you feel, what you're grateful for, for at this moment. And it doesn't, and I think people I often hear people say, well, I've run out of things to be grateful for. And I think that a lot of times is because the gratitude is focused on what we've received. Like, oh, I'm grateful that it's a sunny day. I'm grateful uh, that I woke up this morning. I'm grateful uh, that I I feel good. I'm grateful that I talked to my mom. It's all I, I, I. It's very self-oriented. However, if you expand your gratitude, to your neighborhood, I'm grateful that I live in a peaceful neighborhood. I'm grateful that our government uh, is handling this quarantine crisis. I'm grateful that um, that there are bridges uh, being built between countries. I'm grateful that you know uh, kids get to come home to their parents. Like the gratitude doesn't just have to be about you and what you're going through. You could expand that to being grateful for other positive moments that other people are experiencing. I'm, I'm grateful that somebody's working on a vaccine. Like it's, there's so many things to be grateful for. There's a, it's a limitless supply. It's an infinite sea of possibility in terms of what we can be grateful for. So I think that once we start to expand that scope of gratitude, we'll find that uh, every day you'll, you know, I'm grateful somebody invented electricity. Like that's such a crazy thing (laughs) to have, but you know, without electricity, you know, you and I aren't having this conversation with me in San Diego, you in um, uh, Adelaide, Adelaide. right? (laughs) Like there's just so many things uh, to to be grateful for. And also, you know, to tie into your, your point about uh, things to look forward to, you know, that's the thing that gives you, gives us hope. So, you know, gratitude keeps us present, but when we, when we have a, a, a list or an idea of a, even if it's one thing in the future, that's the thing that, that gives us hope that gets us up in the morning. I had somebody on a podcast who talked about how their dog saved their life. And, you know, when you're thinking about having to take care of your dog and, and I remember she was on a precipice of ending her life. And then she thought, who's going to take care of my dog? And, and so that forced her to, to, to think, you know, about the future. And, uh, and so, you know, she's still with us, thank God, uh, because she, she thought about someone else and something else. Um, so, yeah, long-term planning and being grateful, those, those are the two things that, uh, that, that can help anchor us uh, to a new tomorrow. Um, Can I add one, yeah, one ahead, thing Steph. quickly yeah, to that? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, so another massively influential book for me was um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor E. Frankl. And basically, he talks about um, during the Holocaust, he was a he was a psychiatrist or psychologist, one of them, and he turned his work into the study of people in the concentration camps where he was locked up and he realized that those that could find meaning would get through the toughest things. And those that lost their meaning or didn't have one, um, didn't survive because obviously so many people, um, obviously the ones that were executed, it doesn't matter how you think, but in terms of those going to work every day in the concentration camps, um, some were able to survive and some weren't. And um, he concluded that in our day to day lives, if we can find meaning, that will really create purpose and get us through. And for that person you talked about before, her meaning became, you know, being having that relationship with her dog, and being there for a dog. That became her meaning. And um, for me, my meaning became about. Living life to the fullest and sharing good times with family and friends, um, and and also helping improve the world um, through my book and and whatever else I can do. So yeah, I think those things tied in with what you mentioned earlier. So meaning, hope, and gratitude are really going to get you a long
0: way. Absolutely, I read that book, man. Search for meaning, and I, I you know because I coach clients also. I do one on one coaching. And it's one of the books that I am always prescribing to my clients and it's, I hear I get the same feedback is that it's kind of challenging to read because you, you know, cause he's been through so much and he had to give up so much, but at the same time they feel uh, inspired and energized and motivated by him because he lost so much and still in, in the darkest uh, of times, found meaning and a purpose and and found hope and found a way to get out of bed every morning and, and keep living and keep fighting and not just trying to get by but he but he still was like engaged mentally and and, and playing at angles and strategizing and finding ways to cope. And uh, yeah. and so it's a very thin book and I encourage anybody who listens to this podcast regularly if you have not read that book to read that book, I, I've underlined and highlighted so many parts in that book, and it's <laughs> something that um, I would always go back to. Like I said, it's a very thin, uh, quick read, but very powerful and impactful. So, uh, yeah, I double down on that one.
1: Yeah, good stuff.
0: Um, can we, I want to get back into the cognitive distortions. I'd like to cover like two more uh, because mm. there's so many listeners out there who uh, are struggling with, I mean, myself included, uh, can we can we address the all or nothing thinking?
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure and um, I do want to preface this with we we may never get to the time where it's like we've got no cognitive distortions anymore i'm I'm fixed I'm all good <laughs> it's it's something you continuously um, will work on and you may not need to work on it much I mean i I haven't rewritten my thoughts for a, probably a month now, um, even with all these challenges going on. Um, But something might happen in your life, and then you really need to acknowledge it. So the all or nothing definitely ties in with my type of personality. And again, mentioning that I was an overachiever, um, fear of failure. For me, it was you're a success or you're not. You've, You've succeeded or you've failed. There's no in-between, and that's that all-or-nothing thinking that's going to lead to you feeling like a winner or a loser. And we know that in life, no one is a winner or a loser 100%. Um, just think of it like this. If if you win eight games of basketball in a row and you lose your ninth, are you a winner or are you a loser? And if you reversing that as well, If you um, try and make the team eight, eight times, you try and make the basketball team and you fail each time and you're not good enough and they say all these excuses, but the ninth time you make it, does that mean you were a failure that whole time and you were failing each time? Or is that all a part of your ninth time success? Are they just the steps to success? And, Um, relating that to Jordan, Michael Jordan, like how much, you know, how many times there's a great quote. I'm sure a lot of Americans know it, um, that he's been asked to take the final shot in the game 20 odd times and missed. Um, He's, you know, missed over 8,000 buckets. um, You know, all all these failures he's had. And he says, because of this, this is why, um, you know, I succeed because he keeps coming back. And, Unfortunately, the world we live in only shows the highlight reels. The world only shows people winning. The world only glorifies um, the successful person. And unfortunately, or not unfortunately, the thing is those successful people have spent years and years of hard work and failure and getting spat on and kicked and, and you know, told you're not good enough and failing before they get to that success. Um, and that's where that all or nothing, I think, ties in with our society, that we're too quick to say, oh, no, we're not good enough at that. I've failed. Um, and and we conclude that we are a success or failure. And that's, that's how I use the all or nothing thinking and, and reword that now to say that, well, hang on a sec, like, was this a total failure or were there some good things that happened? You know, if you think um, you have a a party and some friends come around, but at the end of the night there's an argument or something like that, um, was it a total failure or were parts of the night really good and, you know, you really enjoyed yourself, but at the end, yeah, okay, maybe something didn't go wrong but it wasn't a total failure. And that's where we got to learn to um, tie in that that gratitude, hope and meaning and, and happiness and, and looking at the positive, not just the all or nothing thinking.
0: Yeah. You know, what's been found is that people who are more uh, process oriented than goal oriented uh, can manage their emotions uh, better. Uh, no matter, you know, what the outcome is, uh, because what happens when you're process oriented, meaning say you fail a test and you get an uh, a F on the test. Well, you know, you could, you know, become upset and unraveled uh, because you received an F if you're outcome oriented or you can look at the process and say, OK, I received an F. So maybe I do need tutoring. Maybe I need to change my process. Maybe I need to change my strategy. Maybe I need to, you know, instead of asking, uh, instead of not asking any questions in class, I need to ask a question. I need to ask three questions in every class. Or maybe I need to read the, the chapter before, uh, you know, the class starts or review my notes before bed, whatever it is, but you, you, instead of looking at the outcome, you look at the strategy, even in something as small as like you, you set up uh, an appointment with friends and uh, they flake on you. Uh, you could look at all oh, my friends uh, flaked on me and became upset, or you could look at the strategy in which uh, you know maybe it was the time, maybe it was the day, maybe uh, it was uh, the location. There's so many uh, parts involved in uh, what has led to the outcome that as you start to look at the parts and the process and a strategy, uh, that can mitigate the 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 the, um, the cognitive distortions. That can come with it and that doesn't mean it's going to eliminate the cognitive distortions what we want to do is just become aware that we have them and then Mm -hmm. pivot uh and then you know step around it and 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 start to plan and strategize and uh and and not accept it as being a reality right
1: yeah leary that um really resonates with me and To give you my story, like I talk about in the book and as I've touched on today, I was all outcome-based. And for me in my early life, all the outcomes were great. You know, I was doing well. I had friends. I had family. I I was making a lot of money. And maybe my processes, some of them were good. um, But really, um, it wasn't process-orientated. It was all outcome-orientated. And I've got a section in the book um, called Process Versus Outcome Tool, and that's a tool that I've developed. Um, I'm sure there's probably similar ones out there, but ties in with what you were talking about there. And for me, since I've, I've created this tool, there's so many things that I've realized would have got me depressed in the past um, because the outcome wasn't right, even though I followed the right process. And you know what, this tool has made my processes better as well, because it's a way of um, figuring out, okay, did I do all the right things? So, for instance, so there's four stages. So the first one is, one, did something go wrong? And obviously it did, because otherwise you wouldn't be um, depressed about it. So it says, if yes, keep going. Did I make any mistakes? Now, If you write yes, write down your mistakes and learn from them. So, for instance, when I had my business, um, straight away I could have ended my depression if I said, Did I make any mistakes? Well, yes, I did this wrong, I did that wrong, I did this, I didn't account for that, um, I didn't plan for this. So, the outcome didn't come out how I wanted, but I've realized, okay. There are a lot of things I, I could have done better that next time I'll do better. Or if I want to stick to it, I can improve those things now. And, and if you say, no, you know what, I did everything perfect, you keep going. And then you say, was there anything I could have done better? And again, if you write yes, write them down and learn from it. If no, keep going. Then number four, the last point, was there anything in my control I could have done to change this outcome and if you write yes write down the things that were in your control that you could have done do these things next time and learn from it if no if there was nothing in your control you could have done if you didn't make any mistakes if there was nothing you could have done better and you're absolutely perfect which we know really no one is then shit happens You've done everything you could have done, and the outcome was out of your control. Write down some inspiring, positive thoughts, and try again next time. And that really removes that outcome-based thinking and starts to make us think, all right, was this in my control, and was there something I could have done better? And um, really change that outcome-based thinking.
0: Yeah, you know, that's so important. You know, the, to take the time to reflect, you know, when there's a car accident, the, the, what the city does and what the state does, they immediately get in there and figure out, you know, who was at fault and, you know, uh, was it an accident or, or was it intentional, et cetera, et cetera. But they also try to figure out, was there um, something that they could change in terms of the lights, the visibility? the um the stop sign is there enough um uh do we need to do we need to reconfigure um the lanes like they they do yes. it, a thorough analysis to figure out like if there's like 20 car accidents in a month on one corner then they go well we need to either put up a stop sign or we need to put up a stop light or we need to have somebody standing here or um we need to just shut down the corner or, like whatever it is uh, but they they look at at the process and the strategy and and they they make changes versus uh, they don't internalize it and say well we're a bad city they say <laughs> what what are the changes we need to make when there's a plane crash the same thing happens where they they analyze they go through a system check of did he do a did he do b did he do c all the way through z and and that's what I love about your book is that you have a systems check of All right, this this happened. I feel this way. All right. So did I make a mistake? And if I did, what were the mistakes and uh, what was in my control? What wasn't in my control, et cetera, et cetera. That's that's a beautiful way to write the book. I love that, that you uh, Mm -hmm. really have combined your story with uh, with tools that that are very uh, helpful to people. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah, because Victor Frankl, like you said, that's an amazing book. And uh, really inspirational, but once again, it', it not enough tools to uh, help someone with uh, with specific yes. uh, issues. Right? Absolutely. Yes. But it and is enough where, to keep you going.
1: Yeah, and at the back of my book, I write down um, the recommended reading and, and what books, including that book as well, um, what books will will help you with which parts of your life, and. Another book like that, as you you mentioned, is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I read that book while I was writing my book, and I thought, you know what? It's a pretty cool book. I I really enjoy it. But, okay, you can say I'm not going to give a fuck now, but that doesn't really help you um, cope day to day. The the guy who's about to um, uh, take his own life saying that, you know, he might actually be like, you know what? I don't give a fuck. I'll just do it. Right. Or, you know, I don't give a fuck, but I'm still really depressed. So, those books are great to kind of, you know, help you in in certain ways. And Viktor Frankl's book is awesome in that inspiration. Um, but my book, and and again, I'm I'm not a, a psychologist or anything. It's just, hey, these are things that worked for an everyday person, and these are tools and, and help you can get past that as well. Um, and, and just trying to give people another angle to come into.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, sticking on the theme of cognitive distortions, uh, especially those that are, uh, uh, linked to suicidality. Uh, the other one is overgeneralizations. Uh, can you, can you speak to that stuff?
1: Yeah. So for me, um, Overgeneralization. I'm trying to remember because I haven't done that one for a while, but I'm pretty sure it's like um, someone maybe bails on you and you just think, oh, that person doesn't care about me at all. Is that an example of an overgeneralization or is that more magnification?
0: Uh, that's more of a, uh, yeah, it's like the overgeneralization is, like you think if it happens to you, it happens to everybody. Um like an example for over uh, uh, generalization would be a person may see a single unpleasant event as part of a never ending pattern of defeat. For instance, if a student gets a poor grade on one paper in one semester, they conclude they are a horrible student and should quit school.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, I'm just trying to flick back to mine. If I've written that as another one, um, cause that might be, uh, it's it's like a, trying to think there's another name for it in another book. It's not the jumping to conclusions or anything like that. But, yeah, I think um, for me that kind of ties in with all or nothing as well, that because one thing has happened, we think it's going to keep happening. And what we really need to do with rewriting our thoughts is acknowledge that The past does not equal the future. I mean, the perfect example is what's going on right now with coronavirus. I mean, let's say four weeks ago, I literally was going to work every day, um, had a holiday planned with my girlfriend to go overseas, um, was seeing friends and family every day. And now here we are, um, four weeks later, I understand every country and city is different, but we're all working from home here. We can only really go outside if we um, need to get groceries and things. Um, you know that holiday is obviously cancelled. and our way of life has totally changed and we've had to learn to connect um, through things like your podcast and using um, you know Skype and Zoom and house party and all these things to try and get by. And um, one thing I always said to myself was, and for those people that are um, in that suicidal state, as quickly as things can turn to shit, they can just as quickly go awesome again. And for me, I really think that um, finding a way to really see that hope that, you know what? Things, things could turn around just as quick and, and trying not to um, foresee that it's going to be a life of never-ending pain is really going to help you get through that
0: time. You know, that's why I love to read uh, history books because you, when you, you know, especially the time like the quarantine, right? Like it's very easy to say, we're never going to get through this. We're going to be in this forever. It's only going to get worse. But When you read history, we learn that we've been here before. And not only have we been here before, we've been here a million times before, whether you're talking about the Black Plague or uh, Mm -hmm. the 1918 Spanish Fly, whatever that was. And and there was so (laughs) many instances of, of plagues and diseases that have wiped out groups of people. There have been instances of pandemics before. So we have been here before and we have not only survived those pandemics, we have thrived, we have gotten better, we have gotten stronger. Is We haven't gone backwards, we've gone forward, we've progressed. So Mm. if anything gives you hope, it's to study, don't watch the news because the news is talking about today. They're talking about what's happening right now. And the whole point of the news is not to give you hope, it's to give you pain and anxiety so that you stayed locked in and glued into what's going to happen next, what's going to happen next, and are we going to make it through? And But when you read history books and you read about real people who have made it through and have survived, when you talk to Holocaust survivors, and you talk to people who were who around uh, in 1918 uh, when, that, when that plague hit, um, and then you, you learn from them, and you study them, and you see the robustness in their in, in their in their genes, in their energy, and you see how anti fragile we can become. As uh, uh, Talib, I think his, his name's Talib. Uh, I'm reading his book right now, and he talks about how there are things in life that become stronger under duress. There are things that become better when they are stressed and tested. And uh, uh, put uh, and challenged, and obviously, you know, too much of a challenge, too much of a threat, then anything can crumble. But we, we, this is not something to shy away with. From this is something that we can all learn and grow from. Uh, this is this really presents an opportunity for a lot of people. So, uh, yeah, um, it does.
1: And and just quickly on that, like we've been tested and challenged our whole lives without knowing it. I mean, you think going through school, high school, university, or a trade or something like that, um, you're tested. (laughs) You do assignments and and exams and um, you get tested and challenged. And this is just a real-world version of that. And um, I understand a lot of people's challenges are a lot harder And because my my day job is in finance, so I'm seeing – what's going on in finance and in the US there was I think six million jobless applications the other day. I understand that's that's tough but we've got to find a way to to be grateful and to say like you said our government's trying our best to get through this and one thing we've seen through um, recessions and depressions and these challenges is when things turn around, whether it's in a month, six months, or a year, when things turn around, things generally boom. There's such a um, demand for things to to get better. And, you know, what? we'll we'll probably be grateful just to walk down to the local burger shop and and get a burger and go out for a few beers. And um, that's going to bring a lot of great positive thoughts. But we're in the trenches right now, and we've just got to find that hope that things will get better and um, be grateful for the things we've got. And I think uh, and and the one thing I've loved as well is I think it's really brought in a sense of community. And I feel like um, around the world, um, people are really supporting local um, local businesses and, and local um, friends and family. And I don't know, I just think that there could be some positive out of this at the end that Um, you know, even for America and Australia, that we might start to, um, you know, we're getting a bit political here, but we might start to look in our own backyard for things and um, start to value, you know, what I'm happy to pay more for something if it means I'm supporting the guy down the road. And I feel that globalization and society has drifted a bit away from that. And I'm really hoping that when this is all said and done, um, we can really support our local um, people and, and um, local communities as well.
0: Absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I see uh, people coming together in so many different ways. And uh, it, yes, it's good, this is putting a strain on some families. I understand that. But also see families playing together. Uh, uh, you know, now dad's home or mom's <laughs> home or both parents are home. And 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 it's a time to really connect and find out and check in with each other. And uh, and I think like farmers markets are going to boom and uh, uh, concerts, just live events. People are going to yeah. be people are going to be so tired of being in front of their screens <laughs> that the, the, the streets are going to be flooded. Like right now, the skies are clear. But it, 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 when when this is over, we're gonna go right back back to uh, smoggy skies because people are gonna be traveling. I'm already thinking about where I'm gonna go. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna ne- <laughs> definitely knock out Australia and Antarctica in like a matter of like months. Like I'm just uh, like there's gonna be I'm never gonna be home. I'm, I'm gonna keep a suitcase on um, me, passport in my pocket like it's my driver's license. Um, so. <laughs> I'm excited, but uh, I want to get to the last overgeneralization. Uh, I mean, there's, like you said, how many do you have listed? I've
1: got about 15 or oh, so.
0: Okay. But I, but like I said, I, I want to cover the ones that, that, that tie specifically uh, uh, to suicidality at, at the, at the highest rate and in the, in the research shows mm. this last one also uh, discounting the positive. Uh, mm. Can you talk to that stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's definitely um, another big one of mine and something I'm still actively working on. And um, just going back again, you know, my life was really pretty good. Um, I was making a lot of money. I had a lot of friends, um, you know, could do what I want, um, traveled, had fun, but I would discount the positive. I, anything good was just expected, and it wasn't really a positive, it was just something that happened. The easiest way to explain it is, imagine you get your test results back, and you find out you got 90%, I would then look at, go straight to, oh, what did I get wrong? What's the 10% I stuffed up, or, you know, did I get jagged by the assessor? Or did some, you know, something I don't know that I want to learn. Forget about oh, I got ninety percent. How good is that? Um, it was all about what was wrong and what needed to be improved. And as a, um, I guess, someone that is a ambitious, driven type of person, I do always look to improve. And I understand a lot of people with. Um, Anxious, depressive, and suicidal thoughts and situations are those really driven and, and um, ambitious type of people. Um, and for me, it was about coming back to okay, what went right? What is the positives in this? And if something's stuffed up, again, using process versus outcome tools is a good one, um, but also. What can, What are the positives we can take out of this? And for instance, you, you mentioned some of them with this um, isolation and, and curfew thing we've got right now. Um, there are positives. I mean, going through my own, let's just rattle some off that come through me. The positives are I'm getting more time to rest. I'm not having to drive to and from work. Um, I get to be in the comfort of my home. I get to spend more time with my partner. Um, I'm not having to see all these new clients and be overwhelmed with work. I'm not impacting the environment as much. I'm actually saving money because I'm not going anywhere and I'm not even doing half the things I would do before. So um, there are positives and um, it's about trying to find them. And, and I guess the overarching message I want to say for people is that, um, yes, things will get better, but but you've really got to tell your mind that. And things like journaling and rewriting thoughts um, are really what is going to get you through these tough times. Um, And we haven't even talked about exercise and things like that because we haven't had time and meditation and the impacts on them. But um, you really need to um, actively engage your mental health. And I liken it to going to the gym to be physically fit. So you could be the the fittest person out there, um, you know, big muscles or whatever it is you want, um, and you stop going to gym and you don't eat healthy anymore. And no matter how strong and, um, you know, skilled you were in the gym, that's going to fade away and you're not going to look the same. It's the same with your mental health. And I think a big challenge for people is that we feel that we were like this before, why are we feeling shit now? And there's times when you're going to need to go to gym more for your mental health. There's times, just like in summer, you don't need to go to the physical gym as much maybe because you're out and about and you're active. But when the, the harsh winter comes and you're locked up and not moving, well, that's when you've got to hit it hard. And it's no different for your mental health. Right now, Touchwood, I'm going okay, and I'm other than my general maintenance of um, a bit of gym and uh, uh, meditation and, and yoga, I'm not really doing too much else. So, um, but when those challenging times come, it's about stopping it before you start to fall, um, and and trying to put those safeguards in place to at least reduce the impact of the fall or the length. Um, and time that you're down there. So, um, and that, sorry, I fit that into the answer of discounting the positive, but yeah, you really got to search for those positives and don't leave it up to your mind. Go out and, or don't go out, sit at your desk or your, your lounge and write down the positives. Write down the cognitive distortion you're experiencing and write down the rational responses and whether it helps you plan or it removes in uncertainty, or it just gives you hope. These are the things you need to do to help yourself move forward.
0: And, and a lot of us, it's so, you know, it's so challenging sometimes to recognize these thoughts and write them down. But that's the beauty of why you would go to a counselor, why you would go to a therapist, yes. why you would talk to, uh, why you would have a coach or talk to a coach. Also, why... Um, you would go to group therapy. There's so many free resources uh, available, whether they're in person. I mean, now everything is online. Um, I actually just signed up for an online uh, therapist. at my first session on the uh, on April twelfth, thirteenth, six thirty a.m. in the morning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to, I want to, I want to preempt my cognitive uh, distorted thinking. You know, I, I figure. <laughs> They're not up that early, you know, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) which is true. Right. Because usually, uh, you know, and I hear this from a lot of people like they're fine in the morning. It's like in the evening and around bedtime uh, Mm. where the the cognitive distortions really ramp themselves up and want to throw a party. Uh, But in the morning, uh, not so much. You might have. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, sorry, I'm jumping in here because I know we're running out of time. But that's that's a a, a a part in the brain that literally, I can't remember the chemicals, but that is normal. And that's where we got to know that that's okay. It's not us being broken. Um, your body in the morning is releasing a different hormone to the one at night. And the one at night can make you feel a little bit depressed because it's it's telling you to wind down. It's getting you know the sun starts to set and it's no diff. We're, we're basically you know we're, we're no different to the animals running around in Africa kind of thing like on Safari we are um, uh, programmed with the Sun and the moon it's it's no different yet we get frustrated and concerned and, and worried um, because nighttime's coming around and we feel a bit flat. But you know what? That's telling you that it's time to wind down and and relax. And just touching on the coach thing as well, um, I talk about in the book some of that shame about having to see a psychologist or therapist. And I redefined the meaning of a therapist to a therapist or psychologist or whatever you want to call them or a coach is just a personal trainer for your mind. And that's something I've really try and push out to remove that shame because if you were seeing a personal trainer for your body, you would be taking progress photos and putting them on Instagram. Look how far I've come. And society shuns the guy or girl who goes to see a therapist. You know, that's something we're ashamed about. We don't want to publicize. And that was another reason for writing my book to remove that shame and make sure. I face my fears and um, not be shamed of having anxiety or depression, and I don't want other people um, to have that shame either. So change the meaning of things and and look at the positives of that too.
0: Um, You know, in Chapter 9, you talk about redesigning your diet. Can you talk to us about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not a... um, Dietitian or anything like that, but I have researched a lot. And it's really not rocket science that if you're eating a lot of sugar and high processed foods and eating sugary things before bed and not getting enough vegetables and and fibers and things like that, um, your body and your mind is not going to feel right. There's such a mind-body connection that We don't even understand fully yet. It might be another 100 years before we do. But what goes into your gut does affect your mind and vice versa. Your mind affects your gut. And we know that through a lot of our physical symptoms for those listening. Um, For me, it was getting stomach aches and um, dizziness when, when anxious things would come about. So you really got to put the right fuels in. And for me... Um what works for me is I have five days a week where I eat pretty pretty good. And then Saturday and and most of Sunday and Friday night, I do whatever I want. And that works well for me. Um but ultimately you really gotta fuel the the right fuels for yourself, um because it does play a part on your mental health and, and that includes alcohol. You know, I, I drink now um I, I do think that the clear alcohols I'm not again just speculating but things like vodka and that may have less of a impact especially if you're not drinking all the sugar with it as well but when you're in these states you can't go out on a bender and you can't have 10 drinks um, on a night out because it's going to hit you hard the next day. Um, sure have a drink or two um, but yeah, you really need to, to monitor all those things. And, and even things like coffee, you know, that that's going to rev you up, um, but you're going to feel the crash later. So these are all things that I do. And another thing in the checklist is to go see a dietitian or um, do some research on, on diets and create something that works for you. Um, you know, it can, it can be fun and it can be tasty. It it might be a little more effort, but you're going to see the results and you're going to feel a lot better. Uh,
0: You know, one of the things I do is uh, I intermittent fast and Mm -hmm. uh, I prescribe to a mostly plant-based diet. Like my breakfast and my dinner are plant-based. And then uh, if I have meat, it's usually in my lunch. Um, And what I find is that my sleep is incredible incredible I have a sleep app that allows me to get into a deeper sleep and then it also um, uh, it it affects my mood like the other night I didn't get a lot of sleep and I was so cranky and I told my girl I was like listen I I didn't get a lot of sleep I didn't get quality sleep last night and uh, I'm just going to be off for the entire day (laughs) (laughs) so I'm, I'm gonna do my best to communicate my feelings and my and my irritations but no that is not you or us. Uh, it's just I, you know, I, I didn't get enough uh, sleep the night before. So, uh, I for me, I, the way I'm eating is just so I can uh, optimize my sleep. I'm not even thinking about sleep in terms of losing weight. I'm thinking sleep in terms of what helps me get great quality sleep and also uh, reduce inflammation in my body because uh, inflammation, as you as you alluded to earlier, not you didn't say inflammation, but you talked about the pressure that builds up uh, when uh, under expectations, right? When we're striving to be the best, when we're striving to be number one, when we're striving to have all of the things uh, that society and other people say, say we should have the Ferraris, uh, the kids, the house, the et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and, and, there's a pressure that builds up, and, and really, when we talk about pressure, we're talking about cortisol. It's mm-hmm. cortisol that's lifting. It's it's, it's, it's uh, it, it lifts when we don't get quality sleep, and it and it and it increases um, when we're stressed and overwhelmed and putting too many things on our plate. And so, quality sleep keeps that down. But when that cortisol level rises, it also uh, it could feel like it could trigger inflammation in the body, Mm -hmm. but uh, a poor diet can trigger inflammation, which then can trigger cortisol. So it it could, the, the, the cause and effect can go either way in terms of that pressure buildup that we feel in our bodies. Uh, so that's another reason Mm -hmm. why the food you eat is so vital, uh, to your health. And, and I love that you say, go talk to a dietitian. Get some blood work done. See what your body needs first before you just hop on any old diet. Because yes. what's healthy for one person may not be healthy for the next person. Spot on. Spot on. And uh, I do not Do you have to go right now? Or can I can ask you a, a couple yeah. more questions.
1: No, I love it. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk all day.
0: <laughs> uh, I love it. Uh, in Chapter uh, uh, 9, also at the very end, you talk about summarizing the day. And I love that be, because it sounds a little different than just uh, uh, showing gratitude. Can you talk about what that what that entails?
1: Yeah, that's something I've practiced it on quite a few people now, and I'm really proud of it. Something I've made myself, hundred um, percent myself. So, um, I'm going to throw my girlfriend into this. Um, she's a teacher, which um, you may understand. They've had some. Um, challenging um, times recently because they're still forced to go to work in, in Australia. And that obviously makes it very challenging um, for them going to work and having to face this disease every day, potentially. And um, the way I see it, when you come home from work, often we might unload our day to our partner or our family member and we might spend 10 or 15 minutes talking about all the negative things that happened. And after that 15 minutes, the partner might let some of their negative things out and then that's it. Okay, let's walk away and um, start preparing dinner or something like that. And you're, you're probably both feeling pretty pretty negative. So summarizing the day is a way to kind of shorten that negative part and also touch on some of the good parts of the day. And a a famous thing that everyone talks about is a shit sandwich. So, you know, when you're giving feedback to someone or um, something like that, you start with the good, you say the things they need to improve on or the, the shit parts, and then you finish on a positive as well. And that psychologically makes them feel a lot better, right? So it's no different for summarizing the day. And that's where I've input that mindset of let's start with, um, so there's four parts to it, four questions, and you've got five minutes each. So um, the first question you ask was, what was the best part of your day? And then they might spend one or two minutes on that. Number two, what was the most challenging part of your day? And then they'll speak about the challenging and um, you know, stressful part, which usually takes a whole 15 minutes on its own. Number three, what was something that made you laugh today? And number four, what is something you are looking forward to tomorrow? And you each do that. You've got, you know, it can go for longer, but um, five to 10 minutes is all you need each. And in that 20 minutes, I guarantee, maybe not the first time because you're You might not have spent your day at work or wherever you were uh, preparing for those questions. But the second day, when something funny happens, I guarantee you'll be like, oh, this might be the funniest part of my day. Um, And when something shit happens, you'll be thinking, oh, oh, this is the, the most challenging part of my day. And to relate it to what you said before, hopefully it starts to influence us to not feel and label a day as shit. I mean, even the shittest days, there might be one laugh or one positive moment. I'm thinking about um, when people have passed away or things like that, that's a shit day. But believe it or not, there's still at least one moment you might laugh or smile thinking about them or um, the memory you've got with them. So we wanna start moving away from labeling. And when you do those four questions, you start on the positive, And you end on the positive with something that you're looking forward to. Um, and, And one thing I've added as well is that, okay, sometimes that challenging part, you do need to spend more time on it, but then that relates to going back to rewriting your thoughts. So in that two minutes or so, if you didn't get everything out and you feel that you need to work through this, well, then go and write it out in the journal. You might need to do process versus outcome. You might need to use the journaling technique I've got. Um, you might want to do that with your partner or on your own. But it's not the moment you come home; you just unload 20 minutes of the negative onto your partner. And um, I found it's been awesome. And even in this challenging time, it's awesome as well because you both get your time to speak, and most of it's positive. Um, and and that's yeah, what it is.
0: You know, I love that because I think a lot of times when uh, in relationships, when people say all they do is complain or I don't want to hear about your day, really what they're saying is I I want to hear about your day and I want to hear about you. I care about you. That's why we live together. That's why we got married. But I'm only getting the crap parts of your day and I'm not getting any of the good stuff, the highlights. Like one of the reasons I liken it to uh, ESPN right? Where they show uh, the highlights, you know, the top 10 highlights uh, of of top 10 uh, plays of the day. Uh, and, and some of those are bloopers. Some of those are mistakes. They're not just players, uh, you know, scoring a touchdown or hitting a game winning shot. Some of them are guys dropping the ball. But like when we tell our stories, we're just sharing the the bloopers, the pain points. And we're not showing the the victories and the wins and um but you know but also like by sharing the things that make you laugh like you said it it brings your attention and your awareness to things that make you laugh and actually makes you seek out something that will make you laugh so that you can share it later on yes um and, and and i think part of what's happened is that so many families don't sit down and have dinner together anymore even though now it's just quarantined, uh, it's, it's happening a lot more often. So now we, we are able to have that conversation uh, mm. versus just having it in passing or in front of a TV, uh, you know, with, with something distracting taking place. So hopefully the art of, of really um, a, uh, talking to each other and dialogue and, and becoming more intimate uh, with ourselves and with other people, uh, hopefully that improves oh, this the yes. extra time that we have.
1: But we do need that framework, don't we? You can't just be at home and say, oh, we'll spend more time together because that won't happen. right? What needs to happen is you need to put these frameworks in place so that at the dinner table, you know, your wife and, and two kids, hey, it might take 20 minutes, five minutes each, but you're going to get it done and there's a framework to help you um of course you can change it and make your own but at least there's something to give you that routine whereas just leaving it up to whatever happens um might not actually go through then we might fall into old habits
0: right and that goes back in a strategy and, and systems right like at being process oriented versus outcome oriented uh yes and we could have a better uh uh, dialogue. Uh, to, to, I want to piggyback on that and look at chapter 11 where you talk about redesigning your relationships. Can, can we talk about that? Because, I mean, right now, so many people are, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. Me and my girlfriend, we have great communication. We're going to online therapy. Uh, and we're, we, we are thriving uh, for now. I don't want to overgeneralize <laughs> and say we're going to be thriving forever. But um, but what what do you uh, what do you mean when you talk about redesign your relationships?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess relating that to my story, I'm still in the honeymoon phase with my partner. So I think we're four or five months now. So um, this isolation thing's going alright. But redesigning relationships is basically um, changing what we expect from relationships and how we behave in relationships as well. Um, So often we, with relationships, we put so much emphasis on um, the other partner as well. And with a relationship, um, putting our happiness in the other partner's happiness or with a friend as well. So um, by redesigning it, really actively write down or engage your thoughts to understand what you want from that relationship. And ultimately, it means as well that a lot of people, and I understand in um, relationships with partners as well, I'm I'm not finding this out yet, but they try and change the other person. Or um, in a friendship, they might try and Get the friend to do things they want to do, or um, you know they expect their friend to be there and listen to their problems, or, or always invite them to things as well. But relating it back to the partner, I say that you can't change anyone. You cannot physically or mentally change any person, and that includes, I mean the the. Donald Trump could walk in here right now and say, you have to do this and you have to change, and he can't make me do it. I can decide to do it because what he's putting on to me, but it's still my choice. It's always your choice. And relating that to relationships, you need to understand that all you can do is change yourself. And if you're not happy with your relationship, whether it's with a partner or a family member, or a friend, and that relationship is making you feel shit, or you're not getting what you want out of it, or you feel like you're always giving and not getting anything back, well, really, all you can do is, and this ties in with something in the book as well, change your mindset, or change your environment. You either accept that that's how it is with your friend, and that they're not going to change. Yes, you can try and influence them and have conversations um, and see if they want to change, but you can't make them, or you have to go elsewhere. And, um, and unfortunately, I know this is hard when you've been with someone for a long time or with a family member, um, but you have to choose who you spend your life with. And, you know, with family members as well, there's family members and friends now that I choose to spend more time with than others whether it's because these other people are too negative or they're uh, too much focused on things that don't resonate with me um, or their goals just don't align unfortunately that's that's the harsh part we need to understand there's no point dragging yourself through life not enjoying the company you keep and for me Redesigning your relationships is just like taking that deep inward look into your own mind. it's also doing that with your friendships, relationships and family members as well.
0: Man I, I love that chapter. <laughs> um, I have not read the book but just what you're saying about it, I'm gonna I'm, I pulled it up on my Amazon right now <laughs> uh, I just Goodness. want full disclosure I have not read the book but I love everything that that you're saying. Uh, cause I'm going to purchase this and, um, <laughs> but you're, you're so right. Like one of the challenges is, uh, understanding the things that make us happy. And one of the things I realize truly makes us happy because we talked earlier about it not being money, but it's really a, a sense of accomplishment and, 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 uh, and in that sense that we're moving forward or we're sticking to our guns a little bit you know, um, there are, like I said, I intermittent fast. And one of the things that makes me so happy is when I wake up the next morning and I know that, uh, I stopped eating at six o'clock the night before it's a, it's a little dope of boast, dope of boast of me dope of, uh, dopamine that I get knowing that like I stuck to my intermittent fast. Cause I don't, I don't stick to the time every night. Obviously, you know, I'm not a robot. Um, (laughs) and you know, there's some nights where, you know, we're, we're binge watching something and, and so now, now I want a little ice cream later or something like that. But for the most part, uh, I, I stick to it. And when I do, it just feels good. It feels good to set a goal and to stick to it. Whether you say, uh, you know, I journal every day and, uh, the days I don't, um, you know, I I don't, I don't necessarily beat myself up, but it doesn't feel as good as the days where I stick to the fact that, uh, I journal for 20 minutes or, uh, you know, I meditate daily and it feels good that I have my, have an app that keeps track of how many days in a row that I've meditated. And it just feels good. It, it, that's Mm -hmm. those, those little wins, uh, that I know you also talk about in your, in your book, uh, that gives us that little boost of dopamine that makes us happy. And, uh, yes. and it also, at the end of the day, if I had a crappy day, uh, I just remember those little wins. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, you know, I journaled today. I exercised. I got on my 10,000 steps. Like these little things at the end of the day helps to tuck you in at night.
1: Spot on, right? Spot on.
0: In Chapter 12, you talk about how to deal with overwhelm. I, man, there are days where I feel overwhelmed. Uh, and how do you how do you talk how do you deal with that?
1: Yeah, overwhelm is another massive influence on my life. And that, to be honest, that's probably my biggest challenge still today. And I think it's it's different for everyone, what causes it. But for me, a big thing of overwhelm is, time pressure and having too much to do and the world we live in is a um, perfect incubator for overwhelm and overwhelm um, for me is I've got a big to-do list at work then I know when I get home I have to go to gym, um, cook dinner, prepare for tomorrow and somehow see my partner And I've also got those emails at home I need to attend to as well. And now my boss has just thrown in another two meetings today out of nowhere. And that's where overwhelm um, starts to stem for me. And um, that's just an example in today's day and age. But um, for everyone, it's different. You know, I hear of people with kids, the overwhelm there of knowing you've got to look after these people and, and mouths to feed and thinking about the future and their college fund and all these things that can cause overwhelm. Um, and for me, the the best things to combat that, um, again, process versus outcome, it's been a key point today. I'm not sure, yeah, it's taken the stage, but first of all, process versus outcome. I look at myself and I look at my.